Hey everybody, Steve Beecham here. I'm with my good friend Bill Price. And uh, Bill has uh, written a book called Is Your Life on Target? And Bill, how did, why did you write this book? Steve, that's a great question. And, and first of all, I just want to say thank you for giving me the opportunity to come hang out with you. I've been hanging out with Steve. Well, we're going to drink time. some bourbon too, you know. You know what? That's another reason that I'm here. <laughs> but, but Steve is a great guy. And one of the things that's always inspired me, even to write this book, is uh, you're an author, right? Yes. And um, I saw your manuscript before you got it done. And I was like, if Steve can do it, anybody, know, can, anybody do it. can do it. But the story on me is I was basically, you know, what I would consider an at-risk kid. So, you know, early age in life, my, my parents went through a divorce. I'm the oldest of three kids. I was 11 at the time, younger brother about eight, and then a younger sister about four. So I was like really put into a leadership position at an early age to protect her and was always smart, you know, but, you know, Book mom, smart. Well, not Street like that, smart. Right, probably just gifted from the standpoint of tested smart, right? High okay. IQ or whatever, but did not do well in school, you know, and probably battled a little bit with some dyslexia or whatever, but was not like a star student, but always really great at figuring things out. And, um, you know, so anyway, I basically didn't have the ideal role model. You know, dad's an engineer, mom was a music teacher, you know, certainly had a, a safe environment, um, but I was kind of left to figure it out on my own. And, um, you know, found a way to go to Auburn, found a way to go to Sanford, got my MBA, you know, went to the work for the Coca-Cola company, really doing strategy execution. And, and kind of what inspired me to write the book is I felt like, you know, I was an expert just through training at Coke and business school and other things. I was just, you know, an expert in strategy execution. And I had this epiphany at a Soli Business Conference. I think you've been there, right? Yes. So at Soli Business, I had this epiphany that, wow, this strategy execution model that works in business will also work in life. And I think it can make a difference in the lives of others. So, you know, I wow. wrote this book and it was really a 10 year endeavor to get it done. But, but now, now it's you've done. been working on it for a while. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. So, um, we're going to talk about Bill's book here in a second. And, you know, on our podcast, we always have to jump into some sort of whiskey. And uh, I asked Bill, so how, what you said, Woodford, because why now? Yeah, so I'm not a big whiskey drinker, but I have buddies that love the brown water, right? So their, their bourbon of choice is Woodford Reserve. So when we're doing Friday evenings on the back porch, this is one of the go-tos. And then Steve, one other that I like, right? You know, one of my one of my friends, his wife's a Tennessee grad, so football season will break out the uh, honey bourbon for her. He always has it on hand, but I really like that the one. The Jack Daniels. <laughs> yes. That's All right. Exactly so next right. time you tell them that it's not bourbon, it's Tennessee whiskey. It's Tennessee whiskey. Jack right? Daniels is it's different. Oh no, I get it. They're, they're bourbon. So uh, one of the cool things about if you haven't ever been to Woodford, when you dream of what a distillery looks like, Woodford is it. I mean, it's movie picturesque. It's down in a holler. They got these stone buildings. They got a creek flowing through. I mean, it's absolutely be beautiful. And it started out as I think Oscar Pepper was a distiller down in this holler and it changed names a couple of times. They actually sold the distillery to a local farmer. Then Brown and Foreman bought it and bought the farm, bought the distillery and all back from the farmer and started Woodford Reserve. And, and they've got a guy there at Woodford, uh, whose name is uh, Chris Morris, who's a distiller. And the thing I like about Chris is, is he does a lot of different stuff. So anyway, so 
Woodford Reserve bourbon, the cool thing about it is it doesn't have any wheat. It's like 70 something percent corn, about 18% rye, and then it has malted barley, not wheat. So it has a different taste and it has that rye yeah. kind of kick taste, which I really love. But if you've never had any of their other whiskeys, you wouldn't really know it unless you kind of read it on the bottle. But um, well, we're gonna try this one first, Bill. I want you to try this one. Take a sip of this one. So this is the uh, malt whiskey, malted barley whiskey, and it's 50% uh, malted barley. And it's only got about 20% corn. Cheers. And it's and it's got a really different taste about it. I really love it. It's kind of doesn't have this burn taste, you know. It's got a little more nose taste in it. And then they have this wheat whiskey that they've done, and that's in this glass. And the yeah. wheat whiskey is really smooth, which is why I think a lot of people like to put wheat in there. And it's got about 50% wheat in it. But neither, these two are not bourbons, they're whiskey. This is their bourbon, but they do a lot of these special stuff. And the other thing I like about Woodford is Chris Morris, the distiller, has brought in this, uh, one of the, they're one of the few distilleries that have a female distiller. Nice. And so their associate distiller is a, a, a girl named Elizabeth. And so she's learning the ropes and, um, and, and if, like I say, if you go up there and you select, uh, you can get a, cask if, if you go up there she's one of the ones that'll help you with it so and she's cute too so that doesn't hurt either <laughs> but anyway so we're gonna drink a little whiskey and talk a little bit more about how people need to get more on target so this is not just necessarily for kids right it can be yeah. for anybody yeah right yeah I think it really you know would focus on anybody going through transition right so the people that I probably spend the most time with, you know, I'm, I'm now a dad, three daughters, and my kids, I've got one that's a thriving nurse, labor and delivery, you know, but kids that are going from college to career is a sweet spot, you yes. know? And so I, I get a call from a lot of dads, you know, saying, help my, hey, help my kid, help my kid to get plugged in, right? They went to Georgia, they went to Auburn, they went to Samford, you know, went to a great school, now what, right? Because these kids are really, you know, kind of hungry for some guidance. <clears throat> and, and I think it applies to the kids. That's a sweet spot. But it also can apply, you know, to adults. Like another place I find myself, you know, coming out of technology, I work for Microsoft and some other big companies, but a lot of Microsoft folks, you know, have spent 20 years. Yo, he's already worked for Coca-Cola and Microsoft. That's pretty good. Go ahead. <laughs> and, I, and I learned a lot of this at Coke and Microsoft, just how to do it. But what happens is when you go to these big companies, you learn best practices, but you know, you're, you're preaching Microsoft and you know, Coca-Cola. And as an entrepreneur, you know, you really find yourself a little more. Um, but, but getting people in transition, right? So somebody might've worked a 20 year career at Coke or Microsoft, mm -hmm. and now they've made some money, and now they wanna go from like working from somebody to really realizing what am I here to do and how can I make a difference and how can I be true to like what my calling is. My calling is. Which I love. Yeah. So what I try to do is help them in a very business-like format, you know, figure out what is, you know, your, your purpose, right? Purpose, alignment, commitment, right? What's your purpose? How do you align your energy, right? Your, your time, resources, money, effort to that purpose. And then how do you make that commitment to achieving that goal? So do you start with purpose when <clears throat> you're talking with somebody? I start with trying to figure out where people are gifted, right? Mm, how yeah. do you do that? How would you find out where I'm gifted? You know, I've spent some time with you, but that's that's probably one of my gifts is I, I really 
you know, it's a combination of getting to know you and then also watching what you do and then seeing like where you get your energy, right? Mm -hmm. There are going to be things that you're great at and there are going to be things that you are not as good at, you know? And so how would you tell somebody to, what would you tell them to look at in their day-to-day -day walk that would that say, hey, th this is energy for you or this is a gift for you? Yeah. How I can mean, you tell the average person that? You have to really start to triangulate, you know, what are you great at, which takes a lot of like self-reflection, right? And talk to your friends, talk to your spouse, talk to people who know you well, and, and get them to tell you, you know, objective people where they see your gifts, you know? And then you wanna think about, you know, what does the market demand? You know, like who's gonna value those gifts, right? Oh. Yeah, so it's a combination of what you're good at, you know, who's gonna demand it, and then, you know, do you love it, right? So if you can find something you're great at that you love and the market demands, well, you're in there, the home run. There's there's your sweet spot, right? So right. so I start getting people thinking about like that, you know, and one of the mm -hmm. things you've done, because you've kind of discovered it, I don't know if you've stumbled on it, I'd be curious to know, but I, I kind of think of you as, as the mayor of Milton, right? You're out here, you're involved in the community, everybody knows you. Hometown more. That's kind mortgage. of my buzz, yeah. Yeah, which which I love, right? So so people know when to call Steve, right? And and you you found your niche and where you're famous and, and it's really easy to know famous. when to call you. Right? And and kind of the mayor, I think the way that you've really been successful is you get to know people, you do stuff like this. You plug in, you know, you plug products, you plug people, you know, and you really invite people into your world right that's a that's a good skill but it draws people to you right right and they and they trust you and then they want to let you help them with their finances and, and to get the home of their dreams right because they know you can do it so tell me about purpose yeah well, how would you talk to somebody about mm -hmm. discovering what their purpose is so the, the purpose is really you know kind of about your your north star right you know so people you know may or may not understand it but but you've got to understand first and foremost like what is your target, right? The book, you know, and, I, and I've got a, a copy of it here, and I'll, I'll show you guys. This is a, a working manuscript, but it's the full manuscript. But is your life on target? Is really all about like defining the future destination, right? What's the best version of you? You know, how do you know? And only you know this. How do you know when you're successful? You know, is it I want to thrive in business, or I want a family, or I want you know to make an impact on the world, or I want? Do you be ever really know? It's hard to know, you know, but I, I think what happens is you have to really go back to the three circles, right? What, what are you gifted at? You know, what do you love and what does the market demand? And if you can live in that sweet spot, you know, and then start to really think about, okay, this is my sweet spot where I want to live, right? Because if you can live in that sweet spot, you're going to be productive. And then you start going through the five dimensions of your life, right? So I give a little people a little bit of guidance around, you know, purpose, right? What's, what's your faith, family, fitness, financial function? You know, you gotta think about all those dimensions, you know, because one can lead to the other, right? You need to have- right, So put that together for me. Yeah, so if, if I'm thinking about, you know, my purpose, right? I wanna help people to become the best version of themselves, right? Right. And a, a lot of people I feel like are lost in the woods. So I'll sit down with them and we'll have these conversations and I'll help them to figure out where I feel like they have a gift and where the market has some demand and then it gets back to are you passionate about that or not but but ultimately I want somebody to figure out like what is their north star where do they want to live Atlanta or Alpharetta or the beach 
for another country, right? And then you have to th start thinking about, you know, if that's my North Star, you know, I want to live here, I want to, you know, be married, have kids. Um, I start really getting clear on what's the vision, the destination, and then you just reverse engineer the destination. That's key right there, y'all. A lot of successful people that I've talked to, you've got to visualize the, the future where yeah. you want to go. Yeah. And then you reverse engineer back to that becomes sort of what I call a task pad. Yeah. If I do these tasks, yeah. I do these steps, I can get to that point. You, it's critical. You're right. And it gives me chills right now because you nailed it, right? And, and successful people, I think all of them, without exception, they do a really good job of like visualizing the future version of themselves. Like what, what they want to do, what they, it's an athlete or it's a business guy or it's whatever it is. You visualize it. You feel the emotion. You really like think about, you know, how does it feel? How does it taste? How do I know when I'm there? Yeah. You know, what do I need to make it happen? And you want to just kind of in your, in your mind, take yourself to that destination and then you reverse engineer it. You know, now I look at people, if, if this is the, the cheat, right? If there's somebody that's already there, you know, that, that you want to be like, you go model that person. Right. And the, you, do you don't they, have to reinvent the wheel. You don't reinvent the wheel. You just do your thing. It's already there. You, you might know, here's a guy that's a pretty interesting story. Remington Reynolds, you ever met that yes. guy? Love this guy, you know, so I've known this guy as long as I've known you. And I've watched him, he's a successful entrepreneur. Um, he, he's also a little bit dyslexic. He's also got, you know, I'd say some of the same gifts that I have. And I did some interim CFO work for this guy. Helped him to merge three telecom companies, helped him to buy, you know, Racket Club of the South was one of the things he bought. He sold it to, who did he sell it to? Um, a big, a big corporate gym, made a lot of money, you know, and then he started thinking more about, you know, like what he wanted to do with his life. And one of the things that he... Do you think that, that I want to hold that point? Because a lot of people, mm -hmm. it's kind of like you're on this um, hamster wheel. Yeah. When you first start off and you're like, I got to get going. I got to be somebody. I got to mm -hmm. make, I got to live in a certain place, make X amount of money, have a certain family. Yeah. I got to get to a point. And then what's really cool, you start getting about our age and you start going, okay. Yeah. Now there's more to life. I've kind of proven to myself I can get to a certain point. Now I, my purpose kind of changes. My purpose was to prove to myself that I could be somebody. Yeah. And now that I've kind of done a little bit of that, now it's what do I want to be for the rest of my life? He, and he, that comes to more giving back, doesn't it? Completely. You know, and he found his flow, right? And, yes. And, and he, he talked about, which is an inspiring story, you know, that, that 10-year-old kid that was on the tennis court and happy and thriving and then going off to school and then, you know, make your ACT score and get into college and then go be a successful real estate broker or whatever. And none of this stuff was stuff that he wanted, right? He was not living his passion. He was doing what he was taught to do, right? Not what he was necessarily mm. good about or, or passionate about. And, and kind of the pivotal moment, it was around his 40th birthday, he's now over 50. <clears throat> but he, he basically, you know, decided that he was gonna make a pivot, right? And he had just read a book by uh, Richard Branson, right? And he said, I love this guy, right? I wanna, I wanna kind of look at him as the entrepreneur I wanna be like, right? you know? And now, get this. He's met Richard Branson, and not only has he met him, he's been hosting the Necker Cup, which is a tennis tournament on Necker Island for, this will be the 10th year. 
You know. Wow. So can you believe it? So now he's buddies with Richard Branson. <laughs> his you idol. Know, his idol. And now he's what he's doing is he's going to pivot from doing the things he was trained to do to now living his passion as his motto. Right now he's, you know, hanging out with Richard. You know, doing the things he's great at, which is organizing events, still pulling some business in there. You know, he's he's found this gift for you know athletic apparel, so tennis apparel. He's gotten some big sponsors that are gotten gotten behind him. He he now has this company, Premier Live. But the point is, he's integrated business, life, and what he loves, and and the guy's just a wild success. So why is faith so important? So faith, you know, again, I'm a guy of faith. <clears throat> I think, you know, if you if you really, you know, have that relationship with God and, and you listen, he's gonna he's gonna open the doors and he's gonna put the right people in your life to help guide your journey, mm-hmm. and then and then you just have to really you know recognize that Ex- um, execute it, execute it right. You you listen, you hear it. You might like like Job and others right. You might like fight it a little bit, but it's there. And if it's authentic, it's not going away. And then you just have to at some point like lean into that calling right. Some people get it like my daughter Emma. She had a calling when she was probably ten years old that she wanted to be a nurse and deliver babies. And for her, it was crystal clear, and now she's doing that. For me, you know, I'm now just over 50, and I'm still kinda, you know, getting in my flow, right? I've done a lot of stuff like you talked about, work for Microsoft, work for Coke, work for the best of the best. But but really what's more fun to me is making an impact in people's lives. You're making right? that change right now. Yeah, so I'm in, I'm in the middle of that, and I'm getting more from the big corporates into the entrepreneurial space. And in your faith, you can rely on that to kind of help you through that change. It gets back to, um, you'll have this piece of passes understanding, right? You just kind of know that the right doors are going to open and things are going to happen, right? So, you you know, just have to trust it and go. I think what's cool about faith is that really what it does is it brings somebody into your, into your mind Mm-hmm. Who is your best friend? Who's a supporter? Yeah, and it's almost like they're riding on your shoulder. It's almost like I told somebody today. It's like Jesus is riding on your shoulder, going, "That's a good." He's whispering in your ear, "That's a good idea. Watch out for that person. You can do it." It's like it's like this positive influence in your life to help you get through the struggles, the ups yeah. and downs, right? And I think I think he gives you that that gift, right, of of that vision of some impact you can make on the world, right? And then you have to go do so it. So is that important to be able to impact the world to give back? Is that more important than to receive? Oh, it's way it's way more important to give back. Like to me, it's all about the give back, right? You yeah. know, if, if you think about it, and this is, this is just lessons you've heard, right? But uh. stuff that you and I know that not everybody may know is the first half of the life is like getting a platform, right? Um, you, you're, you're getting for the most part, right? You're, you're getting are pouring you're into getting you. experience, people are pouring into you, you know, and, and then the second half of your life is like, now that you've built this platform or this, you know, status, whatever it is, now how do you give back? How do you really make a difference? How do you pour back in, right? right. And I think, I think that to me, you know, that's how you're really judged. It's not what you took, it's what did you give back? How did you make a difference in the lives of others? You know, and how did you really impact society? And I and I think the more people you can impact, you know, really, the the bigger the reward. What you know, however you want to define that. But the more satisfaction, you know, you just better things come. The more people you can reach and change. 
And a lot of people, I, talk, I tell people this all the time, it's just as important to learn how to receive as it is to give. Yeah. You know, and a lot of people, especially when they get older like us, are like, no, 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 no. And I, I tell people, no, it's okay if I buy you dinner tonight. Yeah. It's okay if I give you this item. It's okay if I give them my time. Yeah. You don't have to give back. It's okay to receive. But the but when people receive, it creates a wow within them, and they want to give back. And so they part do. of my selling strategy is is I just give because it's fun and it's easy and it's no hassle. And if I give to enough people, I assume some of those people are going to help by giving back. Yeah, because right? somebody reciprocally, somebody is going to call me and say, "Tell me about Steve," and I'm going to say, "I love that guy. He's great. You know, <laughs> he 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 spends his life." Helping others, and, and he also does mortgage business, right? You know, right. But it, but it's it's like first things first about you. It's like you're just a you're a giver, which is great. You know? I think it's I think it's big. <clears throat> so where does family come into all that? You know, that's probably for me the thing that I have focused on the most. You know, because um, I came out of a broken home. You know, love my dad, love my mom. They did the best that they could do, but but nevertheless, you know, challenging situation. Um, live with my grandmother, you know, which was about a mile away from my mom, and so we still had somewhat of a, a family unit, you know. And uh, those days are changing; people are spread all over the country. Mm-hmm. But we were still, even though we were in different homes, you know, pretty close together. But um, like the the promise I made to myself early on was, I wanted it to be different for my kids, right? Well, and, you know how that felt. Oh my gosh, yeah, it right. it did not feel good. Yeah. <laughs> And so I've probably definitely gone the extra mile to make sure our kids have had everything we could possibly give them, not to a fault, but you know, we definitely have tried to position them to get out of life what they want to get out of life. They still have to go do the work, but you know, we have certainly given them the opportunity. And they're all thriving. So you always felt growing up that you were loved by your parents or not? Absolutely loved. Okay. Absolutely loved. What was missing then? Because um, a lot of people say my parents got divorced and you know I felt like my mom was there more than my dad or my dad was there more than my mom. So you didn't have that part. It was just, I guess, the fact that you felt like one was over there and one was over here and they weren't together and you didn't, can't understand why, right? Yeah, I think, I think it's just the challenge of, you know, they had three kids. Now they're in separate houses. You know, my mom's trying, she's a school teacher. You know, she's trying to provide for three kids on a you know, a, a salary, teacher salary, which is impossible. And my dad's given child support. He's he's somewhat, you know, moving on with his life to a certain degree. We had a lake house and spent a lot of time on the weekends together, but he's not the kind of guy where I could sit there. If I was an engineer, you know, and I did electrical engineering and worked for a Southern Company and did what he did, then yeah, he could show me how to do he some would, physics yeah, and some a, electrical engineering. But But if it were something other than that, he, he didn't really have any guidance, right? And then and engineers are not necessarily the most extroverted people all the time, right? No, so They're big introvert, and, and um, didn't really have the same vision, you know, that I have around business. Mm-hmm. So uh, he wasn't able to really give me a lot of guidance. So I, I was really, I, I felt like just left. Who to, did? To Who gave you guidance? I, I would say. Did you, you know, have people in your life, teachers or? 
people in the community or grandparents that kind of no, I mean not. dude I mean all of that is 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 broken but there but there's somebody that that inspired you to go on and do what you did in college and go get an MBA right I mean well it, you know it's interesting I would say I had almost you know zero guidance going through high school and I didn't do that well um, and I did have this is interesting I remember this story my 12th grade English teacher Miss Swindle you know, saw my gift, and, and she kind of, you know, made me really believe in myself. But I was a guy who, like, literally, you know, after high school, joined the Army to pay for college, knew I wanted to go to Auburn, didn't know how in the world I was going to manage it. You know, my dad was willing to, to pay for me to go to UAB and live at home, but just was not, right. it's not what I wanted to do. So I joined the Army, um, you know, two years active, six years inactive. Um, Went to school at night, transferred into Auburn. Um, went to Auburn after one semester, um, was a sophomore, and then I finished there with a 3.0, which at Auburn's a pretty good GPA. <laughs> and got through, but I but I loved it. And, and and I think it was at Auburn where I really started to like find my way, had some good friends, you know, um, knew kind of what I wanted to do, um, ended up working for UPS, got a college scholarship, but I started really surrounding myself with Success. people that were headed in the right direction. That's key. That That's the key right there. You gotta why, surround yourself. Why did you end up hanging with those people versus the ones that were flunking out? Um, was it fraternity or was it just? I got fraternity bids um, and I didn't get the, the fraternity I wanted so I turned down the other bids and um, which is fine. I also had my wife, um, girlfriend at the time, you know, I had her and I had a bunch of friends at different fraternities and <clears throat> so I felt like you know there was no real need for me to join I had plenty of stuff to do but um, I did have a lot of great friends and I did like surround myself with people that were going places that's but that's your nature to really you're inquisitive about people and you enjoy people right yeah. so you kind of collect people like I do. yeah and to answer your question right I uh, I knew what I didn't want right and, and I didn't want to have the family situation I grew up in. So I knew I really had to be a success. And I, I got a major, MIS. I was trying to decide between business for sure because I wanted the MBA. Then I was trying to decide between technology and accounting. And I felt like I'm gonna get the MBA in business, you know, that has finance and accounting. I wanna get the undergrad in IT. So I would, it's kind of like undergrad in engineering and then business on top. I felt like that would give me the most options. And I had no idea what I wanted to do, and I wanted the most options. That's brilliant. That's <laughs> brilliant. All right, now where does fitness come into play? Fitness is um, interesting. So as a kid, I was pretty athletic. I did play sports. I was a baseball pitcher and mediocre. I kind of washed out about... 10th grade, but I had a good arm. I played at a 6A school and I was okay. Yeah. Um, good water skier. Nobody cares about water skiing, but it was fun at the lake. It was. Um, so athletic, um, worked at UPS through college, so was fit. And then you get a desk job, then you get out of shape, right? And so I had actually, over time, um, I'm like 6'1", and, and a good weight for me is around 200 pounds, but I'd gotten up to about 240, which was fat, you know? and. Um, I finally decided that I, I can't live like this, right? So about a year and a half ago, I got more serious about working out. Started working out with a guy I work with, former Olympic athlete, actually, and uh, lost 40 pounds and I've gotten in better shape. I still wanna be in better shape, but the point is, it doesn't just happen after about age 40. You gotta get intentional about 
eating right, exercising, paying attention to you know, your health because it, it doesn't just happen. And one other story I'll tell you, like one of my close friends, this guy's probably 54 maybe, you know, just had a aneurysm and a stroke and he's in ICU right now, you know, and, and he hopefully will recover. But my point is you can't really take your health for granted. You got to like really get serious about it. You really do. I read this book, Be Younger Next Year. Have you ever yeah. heard of that book? No, it, but I believe it. It you changed it. everything for me. Basically, the doctor said that yeah. there was a doctor writes a chapter and then his patient yeah. writes a chapter and the patient, I don't know, 70 something years old. And basically the doctor said a couple of things. He said, one, he said, you have to change your mentality once you get to 50 and that work is not the most important thing. Exercise is the most important yeah. thing. Because you're still in that grind trying to be somebody, right? So yeah. he's like, you got to go work out and then you go to work. And so that helped me refocus. So every day I just kind of get up and put on my warm-ups and go for a walk and I don't care where the day takes me so I had to readjust my mentality on that and the yeah. other thing he said was you can't overwork out yeah. you know if you ride your bike for 800 miles and you fall over on the side of the road eventually you're going to be okay and get back on your bike and you're going to keep riding so there's really no way to overwork out most of us underwork out so yeah it was and you it gotta was, you gotta make it a priority you know so do something you like we right. hike a lot you know what um, about financial tell me about financial so, Why is so, that important? Be on target. So, so finance is, is also critically important, right? Because, because as you really think about, you know, as you go around the wheel, like Steve's really doing, you know, everything's built on that foundation of faith. <clears throat> and then, and then for me, you know, family is the next priority. And then you get into fitness, which we, you know, hit because if you don't have the the sound, you know, body, mind, health. You, you can't really do anything else, right? Right. Financials the same way. It, you, you don't want to be a slave to your money. You want your money working for you. So really, in order to, to get to the other side of that coin, you know, there, there's a couple of ways to do it, right? You either have to start really young and be disciplined. And, and I like this, uh, basically, people, people have different models, but, you know, it's probably... Um, you want to give that first 10%, you want to invest that next 10%, and you want to train yourself really to live on that, you know, last 80%, you know, and the well, sooner... Uncle Sam's going to get some of that, right? Uncle Sam is definitely going to get some. I'm really talking about like after-tax dollars. <laughs> but you want to learn to live, you know, below your means, you know, and then again, surround yourself with, with people who know how to, you know, make money. And there's a lot of ways to make money, right? You, there's business and stock options. There's most of the people I know that have really done well have started a business, and and a lot of the other people I know that have done well um, have side hustles, right? So mm -hmm. I, I would say it's important to diversify, you know, your income because I see too many people nowadays get laid off and they're lost, right? You know, so or they go through the four hundred one k. Do they work the last twenty years for? They'll they'll burn it up. You know? I mean, like that. Yeah, in in a hurry. So, so the point is, you know, be disciplined, have a plan, talk to advisors, you know, that know what they're doing, and then watch people who have made it and figure out what they do, right? Well, you know what, I don't see people asking other people financial questions. See, in my world, that's what we do, right? You yeah. call me, you want to get a loan, how much you make, what do you do, how much money you got in check? I mean, I, 
That's the first three or four questions. I just do that all day long. But what I notice is like when people are around and and there's, I'm having a cocktail party and there's eight guys sitting here and there's one guy or two guys that's obviously doing a lot better than the rest of them. None of the other guys say, hey man, tell me what you're doing. Or can I learn something from you? People won't talk about, they'll say, hey, you look fit, what are you doing? But they won't say, hey, you look rich, what are you doing? Yeah. And people, don't be scared to ask other folks. Yeah, that's that's one of the hey secrets. Hey man, what's of life. the secret? It's if, unbelievable. If you know somebody that's wealthy, fit, you know, if they have their life on target, that's part of the book, and I'll tell you a little bit about the framework. But I look to the guys who are successful in these dimensions of their life, and I don't want to pioneer. I want to like say, what's working? How did you do it? How can I also do it? Right. So yes. it's that. And then if you surround yourself with the right people, like I got a. I got a guy, he's a close friend of mine, and and he's featured in the book, right? Chris Grant. One of the most financially successful guys I know, right? And and this guy is a, got a good story too, right? He was a tax attorney, um, and and he went like the traditional route of I'm gonna work for a tax firm, you know, then he started his own firm, a little bit entrepreneurial. I'm gonna start my own firm, you know, got up to about 20 attorneys, and and he realized, yeah, accountants and, and all that. He realized that, you know, the accountants, the tax attorney is making more than him. He's doing all the work, doing all the sales, carrying all the payroll, you know, carrying all the risk, you know, and, and not happy, right? So he's like, I got to make a pivot, you know. So what he did about five years ago is this guy has switched over to now, I'm going to call it private equity. And, and he just got... Um, I can't say the amount because I don't know if it's private or not, but I know the amount. He just got funding like you can't imagine from, from private investors, and now he's out there deploying capital, buying, selling companies, flying on private planes, and none of that's important to him. What's important to him is that he's putting people to work, he's taking businesses that are in the, the tank, and he's turning them around, and he's creating value and jobs, and you know, he's found the But he's taking he's what he learned. Out. Yeah and how to take a business and look at it and say, hey, we can make something of it, be able to go sell that to a private equity group and say, hey, if you'll give me the money, I can fix this thing yeah. and make us money, right? Yeah, exactly right. And he's been part of my whole journey, and I've coached him at times to find your sweet spot, and now he is in it. And now he's, he, I would say he's coaching me around the financial. Finance. And, awesome. and what he's doing, actually, is he's changing my mindset a little bit um, to focus on where I'm great, right? You have a gift, I have a gift. He's helping me to really like discover. So spend your time and your money in an area where you're gonna have greatness. Where you're gifted. And and, and if you're not in the area where you're gonna have, if you can do it, but you're not great at it, you know, it's a distraction. So like, he's now got me thinking like, um, how can I add the most value to his portfolio companies? I do some business development for this guy. And he would say, his words, not mine. He would say, I'm one of the best door openers on the planet. Because I know a lot of people. You know a lot of people. And I, I people will take meetings with me. They'll talk to me. I'll bring them real legit opportunities. They're going to listen. You know? And mm-hmm. um, he, he knows that my gift is opening doors. So now he's got portfolio companies with presidents and businesses that are, like, super capable of delivering on the promise. He just needs to get in the door. He just needs to get in the door. And he's like, Bill, your gift is to get in the door don't try to solve the problem completely. Try to 
you know, understand the problem, you know, go to the right solution, hand it off to this president, and let the delivery system do its thing and go open the next door. And, and I, I've had a tendency to want to, because I can solve the problem, go in and solve the problem, but that's not the highest and best use of my time. My time is better spent opening the door, handing it off to somebody that can deliver it better than me, and go open the next door. And that way I live in my sweet spot, and then, you know, the, the business, which is designed to do what the business does, right. that's is in awesome. their sweet, sweet that's spot. That's awesome. So, so by doing that, it helps me to really have more satisfaction, you know, really cover more ground, build deeper relationships, and then and then not get bogged down in some of the things that, you know, can, yeah. can cost you money at the end of the day. All right, what about function? So function um, is career, right? So, so faith, family, fitness, financial function. I needed that fifth F, you know, function, career. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's, it's all about, you know, finding your flow, right? Where are you going to be great? You found it early. My daughter found it early. You know, some people don't find it early. Some people pivot all over. Some people don't know to look for it. They don't know to look for it, right? They, they go, don't know what they're missing. If you're not living your plan, what you're doing is you're living somebody else's plan, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and so some people are okay living somebody else's plan, but, but really if you want to be... You know, I think that's good for my business and that you're living somebody else's plan. There's more opportunity for me, right? Yeah, but for the guy who can go out there and build a thriving business, I think that's where you find yourself, right? Man, you're, it's so you're fun not, to watch that, too. Yeah, you're, you're not, you know, employee one, two, three at Coca-Cola, which is maybe a great thing, but, but now, you know, you're Steve Beecham, you know, and, and you have your own business and you're out there doing your own thing. It may be bass-ackwards, but, you know, it works for you, right? <laughs> it's definitely bass-ackwards. So you talk about in your book about how you kind of are right here, and sometimes you got to go you got to go low in order to go up. I remember uh, early on in Vistage, when I was a member there, we talked about that, mm -hmm. sort of like a J-curve. Yeah, the J-curve. You know, yeah, you're right here, and you're thinking, I want to go over here, but really what happens is you actually go worse Mm -hmm. before you start to go back up. Hey, I'm going to start this business and I'm going to make X amount of money and then all of a sudden you go, oh, I got to have a spot, got to have a secretary, got to have this and, and it goes down. But then eventually if you stay there and you keep digging, right, and you keep pushing, eventually it takes off and just... Yeah, and let me tell you, and, and I wish I, I could draw this, I'll, I'll air draw it because this is a pivot that I have made in my thinking this year that I would say is transformational, right? Wow. So bring so, it on, bro. So you'll like this, and um, so with the J curve, and, and what what Steve is talking about is is really in the book, you know, and and the J curve means so much to me that that I have it like inside of the front cover. This is the J curve that we're talking about, right? right? And so you're going, you know, performance over time. You're making some investment to get to some return on the investment. Right. And my, my thought in the past is you want to, you know, minimize the depth and duration of this investment period. And the way that you do that is you have a, a really clear destination. So, so I think all of that really holds true. But, but what the book is designed to do and where I've started to have like the shift in my mindset is what I've done and spent like too much time doing is basically trying to figure out how do I get through this J curve, right? How do I get through this valley of despair? You know, and you can spend if you're not careful. So you almost don't start the process because you're too worried about the valley. 
many people never start the process because of that, right? And you should ask me about the fear of failure because I want to talk about that too because it's important. But 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 the the, the pivotal thing, right? Um, that that happens here is um, the way that you really accelerate through the journey is you do want to get clear on the destination. And then what this book is intended to do is, is really to provide a bridge, right? So rather than getting stuck in this valley of despair, the intent of this book is to give you a roadmap to get to the other side of the curve, Quicker. right? Quicker. And, and what happens is you don't want to, you know, invent the wheel. What you want to do is figure out your destination, figure out somebody that's done it, Use that information as a bridge. That's brilliant. And then, and then, and then, just go do what they did, right? right. And if right. and if you go to them, I promise you, I promise you, if you go to them, it'll get me choked up thinking about it. If you go to them and say, "I'm impressed with what you've done. Will you help me to do something similar?" <laughs> what are they going to help you or not? They will mentor you every single God, time. They'll do it. Every and the time. more successful they are, the more willing they are to mentor because they're not worried about you stealing their business. That that is extremely right. Yeah, if they're worried about you stealing their business, then they're not worth mentoring. Yeah, and and so that's the big pivot I've had is there are bridges out there, and and don't be afraid to like help take help from the bridge. You know, and my guy Chris, now he's proactive because I've been receptive to like listening to him. Bill, you need to play and lean into your strength and don't do this other stuff. Give that to Sarah, who's one of the division CEOs. She's a company CEO. She's awesome. She's better at me than delivery. Just give it to her and let her do her thing. You know, you're better at opening doors. Bring that person to the table, hand it off to her and let her do her thing. And I was like, that works and that's easy. And we did a deal right now, another household name works with you know a, a chicken sandwich company and and does you know a premier coffee and we're about to do their distribution and it's just like talk to people who are out there they make connections and then you just you know I connect the dots and and, and help people to find the bridge right and then it leads to success so what was the other thing you asked me to ask you about um this is this is interesting you, you had had um, you know, a question, you were talking about some of the things we probably would talk about, you know, in mm -hmm. this meeting. And you had said something along the lines of, tell me about failure, right? You know, mm -hmm. and, and um, I, I actually had my book written and I, uh, you know, kind of had this realization that, you know, and this is a quote from my, my daughter, my youngest daughter who just won a, a world championship down at ESPN She's a she's a Division One cheerleader with Stingrays. I don't know if you've ever heard of Stingrays, and so if you, you know, know cheer, I'm a cheerleader. Oh well, so you know. Well, tell you know, me about Stingrays. I taught cheerleading in college. I did not know that, but I you don't, know that surprised. my wife was my cheerleading partner. So so you're a stud. So you know who Stingrays are. All about it. So 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 my daughter is in like year number nine or ten, but she's yeah. she's now how old is she? She is. 14, just turned 14 in December, and so she is gonna be a high school freshman, and she's won already like 40 national championships. So you can win five a year, so different governing bodies. Right. But she just now won her first summit, you know, which is at ESPN, Disney, Invitational. When you go to summit and win, that's the real championship. You get the ring and all that. And they not only won, they got grand champs. So what that means against 500 teams, Invitational at Disney, a lot they, of practice. A, they they practice a lot, a lot, a lot. So so they win grand champs, and 
Um, she gets the ring, and they beat 30 teams head-to-head, um, and the second-place team was, like, over a point behind them, right? So that it's just blew away the competition. So it's un- unbelievable. In that level of competition, it just doesn't happen. But but we were going down to a, a Florida trip, and, and I, we were talking about failure, and one of my guys um, that I let pre-read this thing, he goes, you know what you're missing? He goes, you're missing a chapter on failure. And, and I was talking to my wife in the car and my daughter's listening in the back. And uh, I've kind of been in the mindset of, I don't want to talk about failure at all, you know, because I think you go where you think. And if you think about failure, at least a failure, if you think about success, you know, at least a success, you know, and, and Aaron, you know, my daughter, and she was probably 10 at the time. And she was like, dad, success starts with failure. And I was like, what? You know, and she was like, when I started cheer, I couldn't even do a cartwheel, right? And now, you know, level four winning championships. But the point is, you know, I you fell, fell, to fell. succeed. You, you fell and fell and fell and fell before you master that skill. And the only way you're going to master the skill is by a lot of failure. You know? So I see that as a J-curve that's a constant J-curve. It is a constant J-curve. Right? You get to, I call it, it's like you go up these steps in life, right? Yeah. You're walking up a step and you get to a point in a step. And then you're like, it's like up there. The next step is up there. And you're like, I don't know how in the hell I'm going to do that. And sometimes you have to go back a step to get to that yeah. step, right? It's a plateau. Because you have to you have to learn new information. Yeah. Right? You, we're all operating at the max of what we know right now. That's you right. You and I both are maxed out. And the only way we can go to the next step, the next level is to find up new information and then go on that journey to go to that next level. And we usually have to go backwards yeah. in order to go forward. You're right. And you have to have the um, the character, right? You know, the I'm, I'm searching for the word. Well, you have to know that you have to love being in the valley in order to get to the top. You have to know that... In order to get to the next, you might have mastered level four. Aaron, Aaron's a good example, right? In, in cheer, there's six levels, right? And she is on pace to be worlds, you know. And, and she has not ma- She's mastered the level four skills. She's on a level four team. She has not mastered the level five skills, right? That's the next plateau. Right. But you have to realize that, you know, if I'm going to make that level five team, all of a sudden I got to do my full, which is the backflip with the full twist, you know, which is a big scary thing for anybody, right? Is but, that out of a handspring or standing? Now you're getting over my head. You would know more. <laughs> but but the the point the point that, that I want to make is that um, if you keep doing what you're doing, you're gonna get the same result, right? right. If you want to get to the next level, you know, back to the story with Chris, tax attorney, right? Now he's now he's coaching me. He can look at me because he's like doing really, really well and he's already been through this valley I'm going through now, he can say, Bill, if you want to get to the other side of that J-curve, here's what you need to do. Don't get in there and try to solve that problem. Play, lean into your gift, and then hand off to the person who's going to so deliver. So he becomes your bridge. Yeah, so so basically, he, he, he is my bridge, right? And I have to have the humility, I guess is the word, to look at this guy and say, I trust this guy, he's right, and he's successful, and I'm going to do what he says, even if it doesn't make sense to me. Um, because I want to break through, and I'm going to do. I'm going to listen to the people who have already done it, 
And when they tell me, here's what you need to do, do that and you'll break through. You know, and it's really having the humility to say, I don't mind failing, I don't mind looking like an idiot. I, I'm gonna like keep my eye on the prize and, and listen to people who have done it before me and just do what they tell me to do. So the highly successful people, in your opinion, talk to themselves differently yes. than those that are. I what have so. you noticed? That, that it's almost without exception, right? You can look at Tony Robbins, you know, Dean, Chris, that, that's my friends. A lot of the guys that I know that are really successful, what, what they do is, um, you know, call it meditation, call it breathing, call it whatever, visualization, manifesting, you know, just good habits. Um, every night before they go to bed, they really think about, you know, what are the three things that I want to accomplish tomorrow? You know, what did I learn from today? They do a little debrief with themselves, right? And some of them How do you journal, know they do that? They tell me, because I'm in a guy's group, and we're talking to these guys that are all elite. And you're thinking... But we get the beginning, man, they're doing stuff that I'm not doing. They right? are doing stuff that I'm not doing. You know, and I, I wrote this book on life on target, right? So I'm but I'm constantly the reason I'm in the group with these guys is I'm like, these guys are successful. What are they doing? You know? Mo Bunnell, Chris Graham, you know, other guys, um, Mike Duffy over at King and Spaulding. I'm working with these guys in my mind that are best of the best. I'm like, what do they do to be best of the best in their craft of business development? I love it. You know, and then and then they all get back and we share iron sharpens iron, right? But the guys who are really successful, they, they really are intentional about, here's what I'm going to do, and, and I'm going to basically, you know, map out, you know, how I'm going to use my time tomorrow. And they, they go to bed, you know, with the mind of just gratitude, you know. I'm and thankful for today. Thankful for today. And here's what I need to accomplish tomorrow. And, and when they get up in the morning, they jump right into it, right? They they're do ready their workout and, and whatever they do to just hit their routine, they get up knowing exactly how they're gonna maximize their day and they and they go knock it out, right? And and they are very much, you know, that mind of gratitude. They do visualize, you know, the wind. They do think about like how they're gonna, you know, get there. And then, you know, as you really you almost have to make it known too, right? As people understand where you're trying to go, people will help you try to get there too, right? So I think yeah. it's just get in some good atomic habits or whatever you want to call them. Make it known where you're headed. You know, do a little, you know, self-talk. Right. You know, um, and, and and basically, you know, psych yourself up however you do it and then just go do the work. All right, so I want to switch gears for a second. So, you know, I'm a guy, I've never really worked anywhere else. I mean, I've had small stints of working for other companies, mm -hmm. but they were all pretty much commissioned, so it wasn't any hard decision to decide to hire me. Yeah. I, I never have understood how you get a job at a Fortune 500 company. Yeah. How do you do that? Um, how do these people get these jobs? Because when I would do jobs uh, networking at Roswell Methodist and people are in there and they, they worked at this Fortune 500 company and they're trying to get to this, you know, the, these other companies and they're really struggling and the resumes are, you know, not getting looked at. I mean, the process is different today than it was maybe when you and I first came through. Yeah. But even today, how do people get, get on with a Fortune 500 company? Yeah. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you what I did and I've been on with all of them, not all of them, but a lot of them here in Atlanta as a consultant or as a direct hire employee. And um, the first one I got involved with was Coca-Cola, right? So going back to the beginning of my story and I talked about I wanted the MBA to basically have options because I had no idea what I wanted to do. So when I got the MBA, 
um, I'm reading Fortune magazine and Coca-Cola was number one on the Fortune 500 list. And I'm like, I'm going to work for Coca-Cola. So then you go out and so how do you get the job, right? So I had, first of all, a skill set that made me at least qualified to, to get a position with Coke. I had undergrad at Auburn, good school, good enough grades, you know, 3.0, not great. But at business school, I had like a 3.7, you know. And, and so at, at that point, you know, people are going to talk to me. Plus, I had had experience um, as a, a IT developer. So I was coding and I was project managing and I had a really good skill set uh, and a finance, you know, MBA. Um, so I had a skill set that Coke wanted. And the, and the job that I got but you had to research that first, right? I had to research it, and I had to find the hiring manager. So, so I knew that Coke needed a liaison between the finance function and information technology, and that was my profile, right? Undergrad in IT, MBA in finance and accounting with relevant experience, and I was translating business requirements into technology requirements, right? So that's yeah. what Coke needed, right? So Coke needs what I have, and I'm... That's a skill set that I had, and everybody. So you put yourself in a position, or went to a company and asked, looking for a job, looking for what, what do they need that I can give them? You you have to make it easy for them, right? And you have to like find the job description and then literally tailor your resume where it matches the job description. Oh. And then the recruiters don't. I should say the HR people don't like this, but do this. Find the hiring manager, which is easy on LinkedIn. You're like. Well, who's the you know the the director between you know finance and accounting and IT and find that guy and link in with him and tell him you know that you want a job in his organization, right? But you got to find that guy, and, and he's got to like you, and then a lot of times that person will sponsor you through. So the you need to do that versus there's a job posted and I'm sending my resume. I've never, I don't think I've ever gotten a job through a through a job posting on the front end, and you know. People do, but but my style and, and where I think you have much better luck is there's got to be a job. Not always, you know. Sometimes you go to the CEO and you're like, "Hey, I can do this for you," and they're like, "All right, come on," you know. But and I've gotten jobs like that. But but for the most part, in a Fortune 500, they're only going to hire what's posted. So you want to find what's posted. You want to map your stuff to that resume. You want to find the hiring manager. Um, if you have a friend that works in Coca-Cola, you know, or whatever Fortune 500, you know, you can say, "Hey." Can you find out who's the, the manager for this job? Can you introduce me? You know, but get somebody to like make sure they see your resume because there's going to be 100 resumes and yours may never get seen because there's 100 qualified candidates. So network yourself in as best as you can. Yeah. And then, and then Does LinkedIn make that helpful? To me, it's I spend daily time on LinkedIn and um, I, I feel like I can get to just about just about anybody, anybody you'd ever want to meet on LinkedIn. How many LinkedIn. people you have on LinkedIn? It, it's funny, I have, I'm right at 8,000 right now. I'm, I'm about to go over 8,000 at any moment. That's awesome. And I don't know if that's a lot or not. I used to think it was a lot. I met this girl the other day. It's an interesting thing, right? She had 1,300,000 contacts on LinkedIn. I'm like, how in the world? She doesn't know those people. No, no. But, but she's found a way to get that many people to send her requests, right? So I, I reach out to her and I send her an invite. Well, sure enough, she meets with me. And I was asking her like how she does it. She sends me her whole plan on how she does it. She said, I'll do it for you too. If you want to pay me four thousand dollars, I'll teach you. You know, and I'm like, I might. <laughs> but but I think I think to get them like I I don't know many people that have more than two thousand, four thousand, six thousand. When you get about 
over 5,000, that's a lot. You know, 8,000, 10,000, that's a lot. And then I see people, you know, with 25,000. You don't know all those people, but they figured out how to, they're doing some social media stuff to, to build the network. You know, and if you have an audience, you know, it depends on what you want to do, but in some cases, the audience is really valuable. Yeah. yeah. So your purpose is what? My purpose um, is to help people to live their best life, right? And, and how that looks for me, you know, it starts with, you know, I want my kids to live their best life and I want them to find their way. And then I want my friends and the people that I can influence to, to find their way. And then, you know, I've written this book because I want anybody that wants to take the time to read the book to help find their way. And then people come to me around, I need a job or I need, I need some advice or whatever. I want to help them to like, you know, find their way. Um, but that, that's really helping people to live their best life is, is what really gets me jazzed. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times I can find that by helping them to get jobs or, or just helping give them career guidance or whatever or live a life on target. Um, and then after that, the other thing that I, I really love, and I've done it a lot, you've been around me, is uh, help to build businesses and help entrepreneurs exit you know, in a way that they really get rewarded. And, and that's fun for me. And I'm yeah. working on one right now, and I'll just give you a glimpse because it's a longer conversation. But, you know, God puts these things in, in your life where, you know, I, I started the global health marketplace, you know, and now with some private equity investors and others, you know, we have 500,000 square feet plus of warehouse distribution, fulfillment, print promo, apparel, you know, PPE, global logistics, you know, and telemedicine and some other things. And, and as we've done that stuff, all of a sudden, I find myself working with a lot of physicians, a lot of docs. And, and the one cool thing about COVID is now these docs basically want to be able to, you know, help more patients, right? And I want to help patients that are in remote areas or other countries or whatever. Well, we can use telemedicine to now do that, right? And so now, you know, I'm working with this guy who is an entrepreneur and somebody brought him to me, right? He's an entrepreneur. He's got this solution, um, and, and people, unless you're in healthcare, you're not gonna care about this, but he's got this basically um, unified patient record that would sit on top of an Epic or a Cerner, which is the ERM solutions. And, and in one customer journey, you can pull in all of the caregivers into a consolidated view of your health status, right? And so what I'm gonna help this guy to do is basically monetize and commercialize that solution, right? Because it's great, and I can take it to some of my connections in the health world, and all of a sudden, take what was his engineering, he's not a business guy, and then help him to ultimately, you know, make patient lives better, you know, get people over whatever their problem is. Wow. And, and you can make a lot of difference in just all the red tape and, you know, complications that go along when you have a care team of multiple, you know, practitioners. Right. So, so we I get to solve some problems like that now, That's which is really cool. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, Bill, thank you. Thank you for being here. How can people get a hold of you? What's the best way to get a hold of you? Yeah, you, you guys can find me on LinkedIn, um, Bill Price. I uh, own a couple of companies. One is Global Health Marketplace, so you'll see that out there on LinkedIn. And then the other one is uh, the On Target company. On Target's really about, you know, the book and helping people to live their best life. Um, you know, Global Health Marketplace is really, you know, started during COVID, but it's really turning into telemedicine and working with hospitals and 
ultimately putting the trusted supply, you know, with the trusted, you know, buyer and we're working with hospitals and people like that. But find me on LinkedIn or you can get me at bprice at the ontargetco.com. And the book's not published yet, right? So we're working on that. Yeah, I actually, longer story, but I, I found a guy um, that's a former sports agent and now he works with, you know, business guys and doctors, physicians. I found him through this physician stuff. And uh, he believes in the book and he actually works with about, you know, 20 of the big publishing houses. So. He's That's helping next. me to, uh, it's going on right now. I mean, now. nobody can buy the book yet, but we're working no, on it. No, nobody, if, if you really want a preview, you know, um, the price of admission is you got to give me some feedback on the book because I'll listen to your feedback try to make it better. But um, it's not published yet, but it should be in the near term. Number one bestseller coming up. Hey. I hope so. Thank you, Bill, for being here. I hope you pick something up because... Um, what he's talking about is, 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 is just so out there. If you're young, you're trying to figure it out. Once you get to a certain age, you're trying to figure out what's the journey all about. That's kind of the way I look at it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think Bill's been through all those processes and he's got a really good insight on it and he's a really smart guy. <laughs> so anyway, Bill, thank you for being here. Enjoy drinking some Woodford and um, see y'all next time. Yeah, and this guy's the best. So thank you again for your time. Oh, thank you.